Welcome to Understanding the Bible with Pastor Stephen, episode 10, which is Evolution and the Bible, part 3, Microevolution. So first of all, again, we'll define evolution. It's basically, uh, if you look at the dictionary definition, one, it's a process of continuous change from a lower, simpler, or worse to something higher, more complex, or a better state, um, i.e. growth. Uh, Definition two is a process of gradual and relatively peaceful social, political, and economic advance, something evolved. And then third definition is the process of working out or developing. So evolution is a generic term that can be used for anything when you're talking about developing, growing something. For example, um, say I'm writing a story and as I got deeper into it, the storyline evolved into something more than what I had planned. So it's not a bad term. It's just we have twisted it to be something that it's not. So typically when it comes to biology, it's, it means something completely different, more uh, like that first definition from a lower to something higher or more complex. So today we'll be talking about um, microevolution which is basically temporary modification of a species without a change in its DNA. And this is the only type of evolution, uh, because it's not actually the modern-day evolution, that the Bible actually advocates for. Uh, We covered on uh, episode number 8, the creation of the world versus the Big Bang Theory, um, and how God says the world is created in six days. And then in episode nine, we covered uh, the transition of, over time of one species to another by natural selection, which the Bible does not support because he created everything in six days. And he clearly stated in the, the Bible, in the book of Genesis, that each kind would only give birth to its own kind, not something different. So microevolution. Let's go into that. Evolution in the sense of biology is different. Its main assumption today in in modern terminology is that the Bible is wrong. And if there ever was a God, he merely started the process of life. Evolutionary thought encompasses the ideas of the beginning of life, as well as the false concept of man coming from apes, apes coming from four-legged creatures, coming from fish, which came from single-celled organisms in a primordial soup billions of years ago. To use the term evolution in conversation, you really have to be careful that people understand which definition you're using. I am very careful to hardly ever use the word evolved or evolving because people naturally assume that that automatically means you don't believe in God or you believed in uh, billions of years of of this evolving of the species, uh, which is completely false. Microevolution is not this type of evolution. It is small changes based on dominant and recessive genes or minor adaptations to the current environment. Environment. It does not make changes that lead to new kinds or species. The word evolution is used, but it's not accurate. Adaptive change is more accurate. Adaptive change is a process that was designed in that organism through dominant or recessive genes or normal processes, it is not a series of changes that lead to something new. For example, human beings. We have actually studied in the Andes Mountains of South America that the lung and thorax volume increases in those who live in higher up in the mountains. Lots of studies have been done over these people groups 
that live at high elevation with almost no conclusion, no conclusive scientific evidence. And yet they have, and I read one of these papers for this podcast, and they have page after page of scientific big words talking about the specific changes in the arteries and things like that, uh, especially even in the womb. Due to the low oxygen climate, the baby responds by increasing artery concentration. There's more arteries and it increases the oxygenation capacity of the lungs, even the lung capacity, making the, the, the chambers bigger. And once those are developed in the womb, because of the lack of uh, oxygen or the lower levels of oxygen at high levels like that, this stays with them through their life. Once their body has developed that, it doesn't get rid of it. The point is that nobody has taken these people out of this environment for several generations to see if their offspring retain this adaptation or if they return to normal human characteristics. First became aware of this because my uh, professor in college was actually a missionary there and saw it firsthand how these people were almost what you call barrel chested um, because they were born with a bigger lung capacity and they continued that way through life. His child, I believe, he said that when they were born there, they had the same characteristic, even though they were completely different uh, race. So it was an adaptation. It was not a gene trait that happened. And then when they had kids, they did not have that characteristic because they were not born at high altitudes like that in the uh, Andes Mountains. This is something that is possible with humans, but it does not pass that trait on to the next generation. So there's no carrying on of traits that eventually lead to a huge change in that species like evolution pretends there is. And in microevolution, it's, it's not a permanent change. It doesn't change the DNA. Another example would be the human body uh, making changes um, due to cold. I personally have met people in the military who uh, lived in Alaska for one or two years, and they got used to the cold. They would walk around in shorts and T-shirts and weather that most of us here in America would wear full winter gear in. If we didn't, we'd get frostbite. You send those people back to a warm climate, like a couple of my buddies that uh, came to Arizona, and when they had children... Their children were just as susceptible to the cold as you and I. In fact, they lost that adaptation after living in Arizona for more than one or two winters. So it's not a DNA-altering thing. It's just merely an adaptation that is normal on the human body. They're still humans. They still have the capability of reverting back to the way they were before that, as long as that environment that prompted the change is no longer there. So here's another thing that uh, is incorrect or, or a flat-out lie about microevolution. It's taught in textbooks as if it's somehow proof of evolution. So there's three main ones uh, that I remember in high school, and maybe you do too. Uh, one was the human embryo drawings, uh, Heckel's fraudulent embryo, draw embryo drawings. They're still present in biology textbooks. You can go to evolutionnews.org and look up Heckel's Fraud, and that's H-A-E-C-K-E-L-S, Heckel's Fraud. Basically, he drew fake chicken and human embryos at different stages where it appeared that, like they had uh, fish gills uh, at certain stages. They looked like lizards with tails. 
or pigs, uh, and you'll hear the term vestigial tail, uh, which is completely made up. There's no such thing as that in biology, and that has been proven, and yet they're still in textbooks. Um, I haven't seen any this year, but as of 2015, those drawings were still in textbooks all around the world. Second one is Galapagos Island finches. Um, people will throw that up all the time as Darwin's finches on the Galapagos Islands. Basically what he documented that, uh, or not him, but someone came after him to those islands and documented that there were um, small beaked finches there and there was a drought. And the next thing you know is there's only large beaked finches there. And turns out, there's actually 13 different species of finches on the island. They have both large and small beaks, and they are still there today. They still exist. No change happened other than seasonal changes due to drought, and it does not prove evolution. In fact, there was no change carried on through the species. You can go to icr.org. Uh, they had an article about this, Do Darwin's Finches Prove Evolution? that goes into a lot more detail about that. They also had an article about the peppered moth, and I remember seeing this one in my um, biology book when I was in high school. And the peppered moth, basically, they were saying in, I believe it was England, that certain colored moth no longer was camouflaged due to the soot uh, from the Industrial Revolution and that was all over the trees in that region. And so those moths were eaten by uh, birds and, and such, and the only ones that were left were the ones who were lighter colored, and they passed on that trait, and eventually now there's only light colored moths that exist there, to, or vice versa, the dark colored moths to blend in with the soot. That was a complete lie. It turns out that the pictures that are used in textbooks were actually faked. They were dead moths that were glued to tree trunks so that they could say they were camouflaging on tree trunks. It turns out the peppered moth does not actually live or alight on tree trunks. They like to hide underneath the leaves up in the branches. So that's uh, completely faked, and it doesn't show any change in evolution uh, over time. It was merely adaption that caused some to survive during that time period, but again, they did not pass it on to their offspring, and no new species was developed, both colors of moths are still in existence today. And it's not even a change, but it turns out they were both there at the beginning and they're both still there to this day. So again, you can go to uh, icr.org and uh, check that out. Just Google it, the peppered moth and Galapagos Island finches, as well as the human emb embryo drawings. Um, they're all fraudulent studies that were done and still used today to prove microevolution which it doesn't prove. So this is not to say that animals don't have uh, certain changes. Simply look at the species of dogs as they were domesticated and bred. They gave us hundreds of different specific types of dogs that are inherently capable of doing tasks like sheepdogs, hunting dogs, etc. Just keep in mind that those genes can quickly be changed in their offspring by breeding them with another type of dog so that dominant genes begin to take over and change them again. So the breeding of dogs is also not microevolution. It never results in permanent change of the species that natural breeding cannot overwrite. So all you have to do is go to big cities where you have mutts or alley dogs where there's no particular breed dominant in them because they were never not a dog. They're still dogs, and they can always interbreed with each other. Amazingdiscoveries.org. 
gives a little bit better explanation of that. Um, basically, there's several different types of adaptation. You can have hybrids or variations that happen within a kind, but it never results in the creation of a new category. For example, the flightless cormorants, also flightless geese from Hawaii. Let me just read you a quote here from amazingdiscoveries.org. Uh, it says, given the current understanding of how the genome works and how genes are activated and de deactivated, Scientists believe that genes are deactivated when the circumstances do not require the features in question. This means that a flightless cormorant is not a different or lesser species to a flying cormorant, but simply one with the genes for flight switched off. Keep in mind that the fossil record does not reveal any species that have kept a change and are still alive with that change today. In fact, fossils supposedly hundreds of millions of years old show zero change in the animals that do still exist. For example, the coelacanth fish remains unchanged after over 60 million years, supposedly. The herring, 65 million years later, is still a herring. The nautilus, the shovel-nosed ray, the horseshoe crab, 444 million years old according to the fossil record, and yet they still exist today with no change. The ginkgo tree, fossils over 170 million years old, they say, and we still have ginkgo trees today that are identical. Starfish, they have a 490 million year old fossil of a starfish. So I'm going to read a, a list of a couple. Uh, this was a very brief excerpt from the list that you can find on a defenseofthebible.com of animals that show in the fossil record are identical to the animals that are still present today. The aardvark, the amami rabbit, uh, the elephant shrew, the Laotian rock rat, the platypus, echidna, the mountain beaver, opossums, capybara, red pandas, shrew opossum, pygmy right whale, pelicans, and it goes on and on. So what does the Bible teach about changes within the species? Three things about this. First of all, in the past, after Adam and Eve sinned, there were changes. Genesis 3.14 says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Snakes, and because it mentions that one, there could possibly be other animals, changed. They apparently did not crawl on their belly in the Garden of Eden. Don't know what the change was, but God made changes in the snakes. They're still snakes, though, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Verse 16, Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. God made a change in women. He greatly multiplied the sorrow. And sorrow means travail or pain, if you look at the Hebrew word for it. So women now have more pain or it is harder to give birth. So women, human beings had a change, but they're still women. They still give birth to human children. So it did not change their kind, what they are. Genesis 3.17 said, Cursed is the ground for your sake, and sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Plants changed. 
and begin to develop thorns and thistles. Genesis 9 verse 2 says, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moves upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hand are they delivered. Animals began to fear man after the flood. So it's not just a physical change, but maybe instinct. And you do have to train even a pet dog um, to like humans. Generally, when you come up to a strange dog, they are cautious and scared. So you do have to kind of show them to not be fearful. So Genesis 9-2 does apply to animals to this day. All right, and then the second thing where God shows changes was uh, in uh, Genesis 30, verse 37. It's actually the whole chapter, but if you read about it, God teaches Jacob how to breed the sheeps and goats to get different colored skins, spotted sheeps and goats. And it's very interesting. It could have been the minerals in the water where he had them. Uh, it could have been the food that he laid out for them, uh, maybe to bring out the recessive traits. Uh, or it could have just flat out been a miracle. But uh, Genesis 30 verse 37 says, And Jacob took him rods of green poplar, and this is as God had told him in previous verses, and of the hazel and chestnut tree, and pilled white strakes in them, and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had pilled before the flocks in the gutters and the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle, ring-straked, speckled, and spotted. So it's very interesting here um, that their cattle actually gave birth, and by cattle it means the four-legged animals, the sheep and the goats. Their skin color was different from their parents'. And like I said, I don't know exactly what could have caused that change. It could have very well been a miracle. But God gave him specific commands on how to make that happen. So that's very interesting. And to me, that would lead human beings to begin playing with breeding of animals to get different traits. And maybe that's how we initially started learning about the dominant and recessive genes. I don't know. The third thing the Bible says about uh, the animals and such changing is the end times in revelation 6 8 he says they will no longer fear man so i it says i looked and beheld a pale horse and his name that sat on him was death and he followed with him hell followed with him and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth so if you look into that it seems like the animals of the earth will start attacking humans. The main reason they don't is when they get a whiff of a human and they smell us, they are scared of us because humans are different. And apparently that's not going to be so in the end times. The best part about this is, is after all of that, when Christ comes and sits on the throne on earth in Isaiah eleven six through nine, it says animals will no longer be dangerous. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, or poisonous snake, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. So this means that these animals, their poison, their teeth, what they eat, their stomachs, hunting instincts, etc., are all going to change. So the Bible shows 
adaptive change within a species, but they still call them the same animal. They have not changed into something different. It mentions the wolf, the sheep, the leopard, the lion, the cow. They're still those animals. They have not become something else. In summary, we've covered what microevolution is portrayed as, the fact that scientists have lied about the three prime examples that they use all across academia. And we've shown that the Bible talks about changes to plants, animals, and humans, as well as the ability to breed animals to change the sheep and goat skin color. And the fact that animals will change again in the future, but still be those specific animals, not a new species. So the conclusion, microevolution is not real. But scientists say it to misrepresent normal adaptation that takes place across all of biology. This does not change the DNA or create any new kinds. Science has also proven already the existence of dominant and recessive genes, which clearly backs up the Bible story of Jacob. So the Bible teaches creation and kinds giving birth to their own kind, not changing into something else. If you have any questions, feel free to email me, angrypatriot42 at yahoo.com. And I look forward to talking with you again next week.